5: Ton ami you going? Oh nah, bravo. to Thank mm-hmm. you. Je vais me toucher, mais je suis fatigué. Écoute-moi, mon fils. Je suis à créer le problème si tu continues à le faire I'm a i not Je <peaceful Ô>。<noise> ne Jamais éprouvé ça pour Papa. Ça n'a rien à voir avec ce que tu dis. Quand me le tu comprends Tu es notre fils. Tu dois nous donner.
1: Welcome to the projection booth. I'm your host, Mike White. and me once again is Mr. Chris Dashew.
2: Mike, thank you as always for pushing my cinematic boundaries as much as you can. And I always appreciate it. I am glad to be here.
1: And joining me for this month is Mr.
4: Spencer Seams. Thank you for inviting me for a whole month.
1: African Cinema Month continues with a look at Dakan, Directed by Mohamed Kamara, it's the story of two men, Manga and Sori, in Guinea, who are in love. Everyone and everything tries to tell them that they shouldn't love one another, including Manga's mother and Sori's father. We will definitely be spoiling this film as we go ahead. You have been warned. So, Spencer, when was the first time you saw Dakan and what did you think?
4: It would have been around the time I saw uh, Dorot and it was on fandor somewhat beyond there it's all it's on vimeo if people want to watch it yeah i i was watching more african films and i stumbled into this one and it's grown on me like uh it's not a favorite it's not super watchable because it's kind of tragic but it's still just a uh it, it's one that uh i really like and i like more and more i to see it
1: and chris how about yourself what did you think
2: I I know it wasn't intentional that you had me on this show, Mike, as someone who's bisexual. And I know we've joked about it. I came at this from a different angle. Spencer, I don't know your sexuality. It's none of my business. But as someone who is open and bisexual, as someone watching this movie, it was at times heartbreaking, at times massively uncomfortable, and at other times massively relatable. Similar to Durat, in a way, it touches on some stuff that this area of the world Especially this topic, even now, has a very hard time dealing with Africa's stance. A lot of the country's stances on homosexuality is really bad, as bad as any of the Eastern European countries like Russia in regards to their treatment of LGBTQIA plus. Yeah, it was it, honestly this movie was a lot, like a lot, a lot. I had to stop it a couple times. I watched it twice but it's, there's a lot going on. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, but yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's a pretty heavy movie.
4: Yeah. I remember my research, I was going through like, uh, countries with LGBTQ rights stuff. And I found like, a I I forgot who did the list, but it was like, had a score of like, uh, laws and conversion therapy, stuff like that. And a lot of African countries are at the bottom and I was not surprised.
2: Nope. I mean, similarly to what we talked about in Durot, with the country of Chad and its massive amounts of corruption, unfortunately, there is still a cultural push to denounce, deny, rebuke homosexuality, and this, I mean, you see it a lot in this movie, so...
1: This film came out in 1997, which was the year that the story of Brokeback Mountain was written. I say it's funny because as I'm watching the movie, I just kept thinking of Brokeback Mountain because of the idea of these two guys. I mean, with that one, it is two older gentlemen who are kind of already set in this pattern of their life. They're not necessarily old, but they're, you know, in their 20s and just kind of like – Figuring stuff out still, though they're being very much pushed in this heterosexual lifestyle type of thing. So, yeah, I just found it very ironic that, if anything, you know, this didn't necessarily inform Brokeback Mountain, but it could very much be seen as like the African Brokeback Mountain. I guess it would be like uh, Brokeback Kilimanjaro.
2: I I will say it's a good companion piece because, again, It speaks to, like you said, Mike, it speaks to similar themes. Maybe not entirely the same ones. Definitely not exactly the same cultural ones, because again, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but there's a lot of cultural subtext going on throughout this movie, especially with the usage of the music, the traditional Guinean, I would assume Guinean, but I'll just say African music. There's a lot going on here, almost more so than Brokeback Mountain in many ways, because Brokeback Mountain kind of... Again, this movie and Brokeback Mountain do lack subtlety. I think that's one thing that I, when I was reading reviews of Decon, people were like, this movie lacks subtlety. That's kind of the point. There's no beating around the bush here with homosexuality when it comes to the African continent. Like Spencer said, almost all the African countries are at the bottom. This is a known issue throughout the subcontinent or the continent and then the countries within the continent as a whole. So.
4: It's getting slowly better. Uh, like it's getting decriminalized in some countries, and and uh, what was it? Sudan had a death penalty for gay sex, and they repealed that law last year. So it's so overall, yeah, things are getting better, but it's still, it's they're they're a bit behind, and you can trace it to like colonialism with like the forcing Christianity on people, plus like the how like a lot a, a lot of uh, conservative. And like, I guess not so, but a lot of churches in this country go to Africa and they spread their, spread their gospel or whatever. And sometimes that gospel is homophobic. And so the problem will, will never end, pretty much, which is kind of the sad thing.
2: Well, I mean, in this country, within the last hundred years, we've had sodomy decriminalized. In many states, sodomy was a crime.
1: Yeah, it might still be on the books. Yeah, in some I'm sure it is. I,
2: I'm, I'm, I would wager a guess it probably is.
1: Yeah, there's a difference between repealing the law versus enforcing the law.
2: Yeah, marijuana is technically federally illegal, but the federal government's not knocking down doors in people's houses in Colorado. So uh, enforcement versus uh, maybe they are. I don't know. Well, I think, <laughs> not I think yet. It's, they're not. <laughs>
4: I think it depends on the color of their skin too.
1: Sure does, doesn't it? This movie, yes, it is not necessarily that subtle, but I appreciate that it doesn't pussyfoot around things. We've talked about characters being coded gay or possibly open gay, like the Charlie character in Buki.
4: Now, I want to talk about that for a second. The gay character that, uh, Mike, do you consider the Charlie character homophobic?
1: A little bit. I mean, it felt very much like, here's this gay guy, let's rob him. But at the same time, it's not like anyone's exploiting him. It's definitely not like the cops are not listening to him. It's not like the cops are coming over to Charlie's place and busting his head. They are very responsive to his complaints.
4: Like the animal death, I can like I can thematically f- make sense of. But the gay, but the the gay joke of that character is kind of like the one really the iffy part of like I don't know how to feel about this exactly. It's funny. But it's also like, I don't know if you could do that today.
1: The character, his character specifically reminds me a little bit, and I know this is a a strange place to go, but he reminds me a little bit of a character from my own private Idaho. Uh, I believe it was the guy who got really turned on by River Phoenix cleaning his house. For whatever reason, Charlie just had that same energy to me.
2: I've never seen that movie. I've never seen either of these movies, but of the two, the one that I theoretically would have had the better chance of seeing, I have not seen.
1: Might be a good double feature.
2: Is that River Phoenix movie worth watching? My Own Private Idaho. It's like his magnum opus, yeah?
1: I remember really liking it when I saw it. I don't know if it holds up. Well, in this one, like I was saying, it's not super subtle, which I appreciate that we start off with our two main characters in a car, making out. So immediately I'm thinking of like, you know inspiration point and those kind of things like is this a known makeout area are they making out someplace where they're known versus not are they hidden you know these kind of things like i've seen i'm trying to remember what movie i was watching just recently where it was like gay men in a park kind of thing and just like oh god we're going to get busted here in this park type of of scenario I was wondering, are they worried about that? It's also interesting, too, that when they go to school, because these are high school level uh, kids at the beginning of the film. When they go to school, it's pretty known that they are gay, or at least that story is gay. And he gets chased down and made fun of. It's not violent, but he's definitely being chastised for being gay. And then the way that the girls are just like, oh, do you take it up the poop shoot? And I'm just like, oh, God. And then even outside of school, like, it's pretty like, all right, let's just go up to this guy's car and jump in. They're not really hiding it, which I, like I said, I appreciate that.
2: I was honestly kind of surprised by that. I expected when I put this movie on, again, like you have like you said, Mike, and I, I try to hold to that best I can. I try not to do research ahead of time. I do the research after because I want to go in with no expectations. And I did not expect that the movie was just going to open with that. My expectation was very different because again, I expected that this movie was going to spend time setting it up. This is essentially in media res. I mean, we're coming in and they're already in a relationship, which I wasn't expecting. But like you said, I think, I think one of the smartest things that the director does is open the film with the two main characters being intimate with one another because it sets the tone of the movie from the get-go this movie is like you said it's not going to be subtle it's going to be upfront and honest and it wants the audience to be able to see the director's honesty on screen and challenge their own i mean look this movie is about challenging our beliefs not i mean ours yes culturally but obviously who it's being made for he's wanting to challenge their beliefs about what it means to be you know homosexual especially in africa so it's I appreciate the lack of subtlety at the beginning because it sets the tone outright.
4: And the, the way the movie opens is it's the overhead shot looking into the car and then they cut to inside the car. So it like starts like this feeling of like someone's watching. And then it's like, but then it cuts to like, the, like the intimacy of the, of the two boys, which like that really hit hard this time of like, uh, being like immediately you're thrown into their relationship
1: Yeah, and then it's a matter of like trying to figure out who these two guys are, what their relationship is to one another, and then also seeing how that outside world is affecting them. I found it very interesting that Sori, we only see his father, and then Manga, we only see his mother, so it's like there's always that missing parent in both relationships, which I found to be kind of fascinating. I don't know if that if we're supposed to infer from that, that because there's a broken family, that that's why these kids are gay. I hope that's not the message. But I just found it interesting that both of them had missing parents in the relationships.
2: The way I personally interpreted it was because they had that missing part of the equation, It allows this equation to be inherently lopsided. I mean, you notice the amount of stress and pressure that Sori's father puts on him. And there's no release valve. The father just, and not he doesn't beat him up, but he beats it into him like, this is what I have set aside for you to do. This is what I have done for you. And you are going to do it. And like, that's an immense amount of pressure. And then Manga's mother does the exact same thing. What's weird is I think what the intent of of that kind of dichotomy was showing that regardless of the gender of the parent, the message is being the same. And it's unfortunate that, yeah, like you said, you don't get to see another person come in and say, well, maybe, maybe we're being a little too hard here. Maybe because there is no the release valve. without another parent. It's just that one parent's message the entire time
1: the closest that you get is Manga's uncle, who's like, mm, you really probably shouldn't be doing this, but it's my sister and she really wants this done, so then we'll do this quasi-conversion therapy thing.
4: The parent angle feels like a co- the class commentary of one has his father and is rich, one has his mother and is poor.
1: I was reminded a little bit of a Monty Python skit while I was watching this. There's the the skit about the Father who is a poet and his son wants to go work in the mines, uh, which is, you know, turning everything on its head, uh, our expectations.
3: I like your fancy suit. Is that what they're wearing up in Yorkshire now? It's just an ordinary suit, Father. Huh. It's all I've got apart from the overalls. <laughs> <laughs> How are you liking it down the mine, Ken? Oh, it's not too bad, Mum. We're using some new tungsten carbide drills for the preliminary coal face scaring operations. Oh, that sounds nice, dear. Tungsten carbide drills? What the bloody hell is tungsten carbide drills? It's something they use in coal mining, Father. It's something they use in coal mining, Father. You bloody fancy talk since you left London. Not that again. He's had a hard day, dear. His new play opens at National Theatre tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Good? Good? What do you know about it? What do you know about getting up at five o'clock in the morning to fly to Paris, back at the Old Vic for drinks at twelve, sweating the day through press interviews, television interviews, then getting back here at ten to wrestle with the problem of an almost sexual nymphomaniac drug addict involved in the ritual murder of a well-known Scottish footballer? That's a full working day, lad! And don't you forget it! Oh, don't shout at the boy, father! Hampstead uh, wasn't good enough for you, was it? You had to go punting off to Barnsley! You and your coal mining friends Coal mining is a wonderful thing, father Yeah But it's something you'll never understand Just look at you Oh, Ken, be careful You know what he's like after a few novels Come on, lad, come on Out with it What's wrong with me? Yeah, tit I'll tell you what's wrong with you your head's addled with novels and poems. You come home every evening reeling of Chateau Latour. Oh, don't, don't. And look what you've please. done to Mother. She's worn out with meeting film stars, attending premieres and giving gala luncheons. There's not wrong with gala luncheons, lad. I've had more gala luncheons than you've had at dinners. Oh, please. Ah. 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 Oh, no. What is it? Oh, it is ripe ah. as cramp.
5: You never told me about this.
3: <laughs> no, we didn't like to get it. I'm all right. I'm all right, woman. Just get him out of here.
1: This kind of felt like that to me because Sori's dad is like, oh, well, you're going to go to university and you're going to take over my company and yada, yada, yada. And sorry's like, no, I want to be a farmer. You know, I just want to like live off the land and do this kind of stuff. No, no, you're going to go to university. So it is very, and I like that when he is trying to put sorry on what he considers the straight and narrow path he immediately goes to the oh you're going to go to university like we're going to break up this relationship by you going to university and then only after he talks about these expectations then does he say like you shouldn't be gay that's wrong and just you know really lays it down that way like i found it interesting that he comes to that secondarily whereas manga's mother is just like No, boys don't like boys like that. Um, No one has ever since the time that man first, you know, came up from the primordial swamp. She's just like, nope, no, it doesn't exist.
2: Since time immemorial, this is not a thing, which I can tell you with absolute certainty it is.
1: She seems a little out of touch.
2: I would say almost entire society around them is out of touch. It's almost like we're looking in on everything like you mentioned Spencer looking down on the car. We're looking in on their relationship from afar and the society is kind of the is kind of encircling them and constantly pushing them and pulling them, you know, away and towards one another.
1: I love that introduction of the mother character with Manga, the way that we see him in the background and her in the foreground i think it's maybe an over-the-shoulder shot and then we kind of reverse that and she's suddenly on the other side of the screen and he's up front i really i thought that camera was doing a really good job of of framing these things and i mean overall spoilers but i thought that the film was very well shot and very well put together
4: a uh, part of this movie that i find fascinating that i want you guys opinion on it is the director muhammad uh, kamara so his previous two short films are about taboos. One is child suicide. One is about incest. And so he liked to challenge people's beliefs. And so sometimes I feel, I, I wonder like, what's his intent? Like genuine, like he cares about gay issues and like making sure that you're seeing his people or does he just want to like challenge people and see it in the, in the challenge, like taboos of society? Like, I, I'm not sure like how genuine his intent is at the same time I I really like this movie. I'm just like kind of curious your guys opinion on uh on that.
1: I can see if you're going to push taboos, maybe you're not necessarily being as sincere as possible like you know maybe that that can be one way to look at things. But then I look at somebody like um like a Todd Haynes where it's just like yeah, no, I'm going to continue to push taboos with whatever. Obviously I don't like in Incest and suicide to homosexuality. I mean, maybe he's just exploring stuff, or maybe, yeah, he might just be a provocateur. But I have no problems with that.
2: I'm curious what you're, where you lean, Spencer, because I, I actually understand exactly what you're, what you're getting at. Because the way the movie ends, I think, kind of, it didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth, but it did feel like, what were you getting at this entire time? Because I mean, again, I don't want to hop to the ending, but to answer your question without talking about the ending directly, when the film ended, the the way I interpreted kind of the the way the film ends colors the rest of the film for me in a lot of ways. And the problem I have is it did feel a little odd that the movie just kind of ends like that without, it doesn't even feel hopeful. It just feels like. What it felt like Mohammed Kamara was saying was the homosexuality gets in the way a little bit. That feels provocateur-ish, less approaching it and having to have an interesting conversation, which I think this is an interesting conversation to have, but it feels a tad like he doesn't have anything to say, but it's definitely provocative. But I kind of came away from it saying, "Mm, maybe it wasn't being used in a way that was entirely trying to really challenge
1: people's views, as it were. Not only is he dealing with a gay relationship, but then he's also dealing with the whole black-white relationship by actually having a white woman in the film and then a a scene, I will not say it's graphic, but it's pretty frank, a near-sex scene between a white woman and a black man, which I don't think you see in African cinema all the time.
4: Other ones we've covered so far, I think this is the first time a white character isn't explicitly bad or like a cartoon character. This is the first time it's like, oh, like, umu, she's an actual person, like, with like, you know, feelings and like goals. Where like the, the jungle boy and, um, uh, Tukibuki, like, that's a cartoon character making fun of like, you know, white people, who like, go to Africa to kill elephants and, and whatnot. And, you know, then, and, Dorot I don't think you see white people at all
2: not that I remember at least it's an important movie for queer cinema let's not get that twisted I mean it is a very important film because again it is the first film of its kind period you know from Africa's and that's I mean again there were people who protested this movie being made I mean that's That's the kind of climate that this film was being made in. So it is an important movie, but do I think it is the best film to have a a a frank discussion about homosexuality and how it affects heterosexuality and heterosexual norms and expectations from older generations? I don't think so. But I think it's an important movie for a lot of other reasons. That detraction does not diminish the quality of the film.
4: This sounds like a wish answer, but... I'm down in the middle, because some, like, half the, like, the this watch, it felt more genuine, but the last watch, it felt like, I don't know, maybe he's just trying to provo- provoke people. But, I don't know, like, it kind of, like, I'm not really sure what, like, what his, you know, what his, like, uh, what his what his intentions were.
2: I think we would all agree he was trying to be provocative, period. There's, I don't think there's a question of that.
4: We basically said without saying it, but, like, he, he is a... Hetero man, he has a, he has like a, a wife and children. I think one of his one of his kids is in the movie, or his brother is in the movie. Can't remember which it was. Like again, I'm, and it doesn't make the movie worse for me. It's just kind of an element that kind of has to be discussed when you when you talk about this movie.
1: Does he play the father character?
4: Yeah, he he's the dad.
1: His performance was really good, and it's interesting that he hasn't really, he directed the two shorts in the feature film, but other than that, I don't think he's directed anything and he's mostly mo- known for his acting, um, though he hasn't done anything in a while.
4: Yeah, I yeah, just killed his, uh, filmmaking career.
1: That's kind of a shame.
4: It is, but at the same time, I'm not really surprised because, like, looking at, like, Dookie Buki and Hayen is like, those are provocative, but they don't challenge, like, religion that much. And this gets into, challenging like christianity and you know like religion in general and, and i feel like that kind of really led to like him not really ever make another movie again and i would love, love to see like another movie from him and this was the only feature he ever got to make which i, I would love to see him grow and like just do other stuff and like make like a more normal movie because he clearly has the skills to make a uh you know like, like a, a good movie
2: I do agree, though, Spencer, to your point. If you make this movie, you're kind of putting your career on the
1: line. At one point, Sori collapses. And I think it's two scenes later, Manga throws up and then collapses. Are we supposed to think that they have something physically wrong with them? Or is this just love sickness? Or, like, why are these two throwing up? Of course... Or in passing out. Of course, the first thing that passed through my mind was AIDS, but obviously, it would get much worse than that. It's not just you know a passing out type of disease. So I, I don't know what you guys think about how they both were passing out in the film.
4: This movie felt like a melodrama. It felt like almost like a Douglas Sirkian with the how dramatic things get. Even though it's like it's the energy is low key, but like the what happens is kind of. Uh, Like, like I said, like is melodramatic, and so I took that as this, like, you know, like lovesickness, more or less.
2: I kind of see where you went, Mike, and I was kind of in that same boat of like, is is this? Are again because I had no idea where this movie is going. So I was like, are they? Is this where they're going? I mean, again, the AIDS epidemic in this country is bad. What it was is bad, and then in Africa, it's worse, way worse. Way, way worse. I thought about it, but I, I think, yeah, to Spencer's point, I think it's just like really trying to, again, lack of subtlety. I think that's like, if I, you know, I would say that that's probably, it's just like a, like you said, like love sickness, just like overwhelmed with emotion to the point of like upsetting myself physically.
1: I guess I can see that, especially when I think about that in terms also of the mother character who at one point collapses, and then she ends up in a wheelchair. I thought that was like very soap opera-esque, the way that that went down. I was kind of puzzled while that was happening. And then there's the point where they're like, oh, yeah, your mom. I don't think they even say anything she to fell him. And she's
2: paralyzed. That's, it was like, yeah, she's paralyzed now. It's like, I, I'm glad you were kind of confused, because I was like, his mom's just paralyzed now? From what?
1: And I think it's the uncle is talking to a character and says, like, we haven't told him all, you know, the truth or whatever. And that was two years ago. And then we cut to uh, Manga and he's got that very obviously fake mustache that he's wearing. And I was like, <laughs> OK, time has it. passed. <laughs> yeah.
2: That, that that mustache was uh, was real bad.
1: Ooh, no bueno.
2: That was uh, the cheapest of cheapest make- makeup uh, effects that they could use. Let's just put it that way and take that ridiculous thing
4: off yeah i i took the the mother angle as like the the melodrama like f- thing i was talking about like because it doesn't make sense we never learn the truth but that just feels like 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 a douglas Sirkian thing to do of like you know she's paralyzing in a wheelchair now because she's so upset with her son's romance with another boy
2: that's what i where i thought it was going it was like You know, to use a bad example, like in Waterboy, where the mama faints, it's like, I'm so angry with you that I'm going to, like, put myself into a position where it's like, either you fix this or I will stay like this forever, which is insanely manipulative. And if you're in that position right now in your life, you need to talk to someone because that's it's massively manipulative. And I mean, that's that's the way I took it in this movie. I didn't take it as she's actually in a wheelchair, but maybe she actually is. It's a hell of a long con if it's not.
1: Homosexuality is the devil.
2: And I like Coach Klein and he likes me back. <laughs> uh oh. Water boy, ladies and gentlemen, for the 21st century.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was that whole thing going on with the rituals around trying to get. Uh, manga to not be gay anymore. That woman taking the mud bath and flailing around. It looked like a graveyard or something. It was just like, it was pretty intense. And as she's doing this, I'm just like, okay, this is pretty much, I guess, aversion therapy, like gay conversion type of stuff. But this brand of that.
2: My favorite thing was when they were like, I will help him if this rock floats. That is the most pumice. Poorest piece of rock I have ever seen. Do not try to put one over on the odd. I mean, I know what they're doing, but it's like, it's that, like, self-fulfilling prophecy nonsense, where it's like, I if this works, I'll do it. And it's like, you already knew it was gonna work. Like, come on. I love I love it, though. Like, it's... Gingerly. Yeah, it's that witch doctor, like, you know, that's, that's that whole thing where it's like, if I, you know, oh, the dowsing rods. Like, it's like, I mean, you know, like, this is a little different, but it's that same like, okay, like...
4: Yeah, that immediately made you think of um, a Michelle Bachman and her husband who had like the facility or whatever, the the conversion therapy center. <laughs> Didn't Mike Pence have one or some sh- or was it Mike Pence? I'm thinking of.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Pence has gone through the conversion, as far as I remember. Yeah, they really played that down. Did he actually go through conversion therapy? That's what I thought. I remember, like before. Like the election really got into full swing was hearing that, and then just like how virulently anti-gay he was, or probably still is, I was just like, wow, uh, this seems a little suspect to me.
4: I mean, if someone hates gay people that much, clearly, you know, they're hiding nothing.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> this is completely on the level. There is no subtext here.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're right, as far as like the Sirkian overtones to this, I mean, just the way that time passes i mentioned that two years to that just suddenly passes and then the way that we shift locations suddenly and we're back in the city and now manga has a job uh working like in a fishery and then only to find out that who owns the fishery well it's sori and his dad and so there's that like very convenient thing, and then we're introduced to this other character, Umu, the white girl that we we're talking about. Who, yeah, at first I thought I was like, is she supposed to be an African person, or what's going on? Because she speaks French, but she also speaks the local language. She works in the stalls. She seems very into the customs and everything.
4: If you look if you at her hands, she has um, like a certain like nail thing. Like uh, at, her, at her fingertips, so it's like that's the key of like. T- that, when I noticed that the first time, that's when like, okay, she's clearly not just some tourist. She's clearly like like a local person who's this you know a part of the community.
1: She's living life, yeah. Nobody seems to question that she's this white girl. Nobody seems to be like, get the fuck out of here, girl. What are you doing around here? And that she was raised by an African woman that she who was her wet nurse, and then her mom and dad had passed away, or at least her mom had passed away. She's a fascinating character to me, and the role that she plays trying to be that branch for manga to normalize, and I'm putting that in quotes for the listeners at home, normalize and become heterosexual, that whole relationship, I like that it's kind of the core of the second act of the film, because it is fascinating.
4: It's not a black woman; it's a white woman. That so it's so it's like another, you know, like another like taboo of like you know he went from uh, homosexual to now he's just with a you know a white European woman, and I I never get a sense of people judge him for it, but there's still a sense of like like that that's a that's a bold choice to make for this movie,
2: and I think it's kind of the only choice that they could have made the director because I think it just. I think it further reinforces kind of what's going on in this movie and a lot of, again, I think it's a, it's a, it's, we're going back to this thing of subtlety. I think having it be a white woman as the, you know, secondary part of the conversion therapy almost, it's very interesting. Again, it it plays with kind of what we were expecting this movie to do where we were expecting this movie to go. Cause again, I didn't go into this movie even knowing that there were any white actresses, white actors in it. So when I saw this white actress on screen, I was very surprised. And then her being kind of a, a massive part of the film was, was very interesting. Yeah. Mike like, it's, it's definitely one of the more interesting relationships in the film.
4: Her introduction. I never noticed before, but it was kind of a joke because it cuts to the city in a, in a gravestone. And it's like, Oh shit is his mom dead? Then it's like, oh no, it's those new characters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and she's very tied to his mother and that she's even pushing her wheelchair. And I'm like, okay, so I guess she's kind of the mom's caregiver now? This is interesting. So, and then it's very, oh yeah, no, you should meet my son. He's perfect for you. And they're just pushing that this relationship
4: happens. The whole angle of like the force relationship is like, it, it, like, every time I watch it, it gets more tragic. Cause, like, you see, he is trying so hard. And, and, like, I'm not sure if you guys yet suspected it would, it would fall apart, but, like, every time I see it, I know it's gonna fall apart. And I just always feel so sorry for, uh, for Umu every single time.
1: Yeah, I feel very bad for her when they have that aborted lovemaking scene, because she's trying her best. I I like that scene where she's standing in front of the mirror, kind of evaluating herself, evaluating her breasts, and just kind of taking stock of herself before she goes forward with this relationship, and that they have this attempt to have sex, and he keeps flashing over to Memories of He and Sori. And at one point, she's just like, yep, I'm getting no reaction here. What the hell's going on? And that amazing line when she gives up and says, what was it? I thought you weren't going to wear a dress anymore. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's just like a colloquialism or what's going on.
2: I interpret it as a colloquialism. She he she says that you you'd promised you'd never wear a dress again. And yeah, I interpreted it as a very interesting colloquialism that I had never heard before. Maybe it's not that, but that scene, that moment, I don't know what else it could be.
4: The translation of this, I, I know a little bit of French. I know enough that I can follow. Like, like, if I hear French in a movie, I can maybe follow, like, a sentence or two. And there, are, there's are a couple moments in this where, like, uh, I realized how much French I kind of knew. Cause there's a part where, um, uh, sorry's dad is telling him, no, you're the best, but the word in French he uses is better. So it's like, huh, that's a weird translation. They, they, they switch it up. But then another point, someone in French says some, you're better than this, but they don't, but they use a different word. So I don't know this, this translation is kind of interesting of like what they chose to, uh, use in English over, uh, you know, like direct translation.
1: There's stuff about bracelets in here that I wasn't necessarily following. Like she, she puts on a bracelet and it's got words on it. And I wasn't sure what the word said And before she says,
4: the for the beach.
1: No, uh first, Umu puts on a bracelet Like as they are about to part ways before she says, don't forget about me. I thought there were words on there. And then, yeah, for sure, when they're on the beach. And I think it's like his mother, uh, Manga's mother, says to him, you're no longer my son. You're banished forever. But then she buys a bracelet. And does that bracelet say, take care of my son? Or is this just her saying that? To him? I wasn't following. I thought
4: it was the one that says, take care of my son.
1: Okay, the bracelet that she buys, that, that the mother buys? Okay. And then she says, this is for sorry.
4: The, the leap from her rejecting her son to her accepting him is, it's strange, but at the same time, I I buy it because like she's the parent who's more open-minded and she's more she doesn't have much in her life like we see like her there's not much going on and like she clearly want to lose her son and so on some level i don't think she believes what she's saying but she also i think she just wants to have some some relationship with her son because like there's you know what little what we're given like there's not much of her uh, having personal life or relationships with anyone
2: I mean the way i interpreted that because i mean yeah you're right mike it goes from you're no longer my son you're banished forever to the next scene they go to the bracelet vendor the way i interpreted it is is just like look i, I you're not my son anymore you're banished forever but i cannot completely send you out back into the world without n- this putting this energy back to you to give to him you know him him being sorry it's a very weird cognitive dissonance thing like but like you hear about it with kids that come out to their parents and you hear about their their parent being like you know you're not my fucking kid anymore but like I still care about you it's just different now I, that's the way I interpreted it and again that's me viewing it through a very different lens than the film is being made through but trying to find a closer analog for personal experiences of myself and others it's it's an interesting. It is a a common thing, and it is a sad and upsetting thing. But at the same time, it happens. And it, it, I mean, it's I'm glad that they kind you know the director captured it pretty pretty succinctly. Frankly,
1: it reminded me of Pauly giving Henry that what hundred sixty dollars. He's like, no, I got to turn my back.
2: That's exactly what it is. I mean, it's that exact, like, now go away forever. But here you, like, here's my little parting so that I don't leave you out in the cold, right?
1: There's that moment, kind of going back a little bit, where Manga is going, he's trying to go to the factory. There's this stuff going on about, like, his fish and the prices, and he wants to make more money. And, like I said, the father of Sori. Is the one that owns his fish factory and Sori's working there. That whole thing of the father trying to keep Manga away from Sori. It's like a screwball comedy for like five minutes. It's just dropped in here with him running down these stairs and the way that he, you know, misdirects Sori and like puts his arm around him and walks him up the other way. It was just like, where is this coming from? I enjoyed it, but I was just like, wow, I didn't expect the movie to go wacky for a few minutes.
4: I mean, there's some comedy here and there, but that—that's like the one, like, re- like really comedic, like scene. I feel like it was written as a, com- as a com- comedy scene.
1: Yeah, it almost felt like a French farce for a few minutes there.
4: Like part of the not subtlety thing is the class aspect of one is poor, one is, uh, rich, and the one is rich dresses in a suit and dresses very Western, and his home is always lit with lamps and electric lights, and the one who's poor, it's always natural light and it's always dark in the house. One has a feature and one doesn't has a feature. I don't know, like this movie touches on a whole lot of things.
1: It makes me question where the hell Sori is living at the end. Like, is that his house that manga comes to when he meets Sori and Sori's wife and baby? Because it just feels like there's nothing in that house, almost like it was abandoned and they just happen to be standing there.
4: There was a line early on where uh sorry says, come back to my home village. So I think that's his home village and that's, and he's, I don't know. We don't know like what choices he made. So I can only assume that maybe he has a, a like a home his home village and maybe he worked for his dad doing something, but he just happened to be at his other home, but I'm not really sure.
2: It was strange because I was under the impression that he was well off because he was working with his father. And I was expecting, like, to to continue that, like, very clear delineation between the rich and the, the, quote, rich and poor. Uh, And then they don't. And it's like, you know, it kind of speaks to something that we, you know, kind of haven't really mentioned. But while this movie is about Sori and manga, it is very much manga's story. It is not... Sori's story as much as it's manga's, because we follow manga's story through, I would say, the better part of the second act. I mean, the second act, the second I almost the second and third act, pretty much. The second and third act are almost completely told from well, you know, following manga and how he, you know, goes to the conversion therapy, and then he's, you know, with Omu and that relationship. Sori is just like a he's just kind of off in the distance. He you would like if it was a play you would see him standing, you know, at the very back of the stage or off to the side or in like a window or something. He's not a substantive part of this film past the first act, which is an interesting choice because you would have thought there would be more things to mine by having the characters be kind of omnipresent throughout the story as a part as opposed to one of them being the sole focus and the other ones just off doing god knows what
1: even when they meet at the end, it feels like this is probably just a fashion of the time kind of thing. But the way that Sori's wearing that cap and he's got the overalls on and he's got only one of the things done on the overalls. I was like taken back to the mall in the nineties type of thing, like seeing kids wear the one strap undone overall thing. But to me, he kind of looks like a hobo at that point. I'm just like, Did he fall on hard times? I just was like, what's going on? Because he's living his father's dream at that point, right? He's, I think, still working for his dad. He probably went to university. He definitely has a girl and he's got a kid. You know, he's proven that he can conquer homosexuality. So it feels like he should be, you know, living on easy street. But then, yeah, he's just in that, like, grass-thatched house and... super dim in there, but I guess, yeah, maybe that's just his his village home versus his home home. It feels like his dad would probably want to put him up in more of a bungalow.
2: You know, Spencer, when you asked that question earlier about is – The director camera have anything to say about homosexuality or is he being a provocateur? I think I've answered my own question as to why I felt that because it's manga's story and they don't share the screen because we don't see them share the screen very much past the first act. I'm not sure what he's getting at, but he's not telling us the whole story because when manga shows up at the end of the movie, he is home wrecking that family's relationship. What he does, I understand that they're in love. I understand that they're you know, want to be together, but the way he plays it is sorry has not been a part of the story at all for almost 45 minutes. And because of that, it feels like that decision at the end is made quietly or in silence between the two characters. And to me, it's like, okay, I'm on board with why manga is making this decision. Sorry, a little less so, and because of that, it falls a little flat. When he just like shows up and sorry's like, Yep, all right. I'm leaving, like my wife and kids and my job. Like, okay.
1: She cries, but she doesn't cry out. You know, she just gets upset that he's leaving. And I think she knows he's leaving forever, but it's just quiet tears that are running down her face. She's not Michelle Williamsing it up and, you know, yelling and screaming at Heath Ledger. She's just like, okay, I think it's almost like I knew this day would come. And now it's here, yeah.
4: Because another relationship with a white woman, she knew of his struggles, and like there's a part of where he's like, "I, I, I tried to, I want to stay clean," and so like clearly, there's like with their significant others, you know, in their in their different therapies or whatever, like they're they're like it's a very open like this this like uh, discussions they're having, like it's a enough of you get enough of insight of like. They're trying to have actual relationships with women, and they just can't do it. can't bring themselves to do it.
1: Sorry did apparently more than manga did. Presumably, presumably, yeah. They could have a very attractive milkman.
4: And the the meat cute of Umi and uh, manga.
1: Oh, with the bug, the praying mantis. Yeah,
4: and the baby. Because the whole theme of this movie of like them telling of the parents telling them uh, breed, have children. And the first time the, a manga meets, you know, the white woman he will be in a relationship with, uh, she's, she's with a baby. And so, like, it's this very maternal, motherly image of, like, she's making a baby smile. And, and so it's like this very, like, again, not subtle, but it's this very potent image of, like, this is life you can have. You can have a, a beautiful wife and you can have a baby because that's what normal people have. Well, in quotations, normal people.
1: Well, yeah, and even him very early in the film, Manga, telling story, I want to have your children. Okay, that's an interesting way, especially because they are kids themselves at that point. They're maybe 18, probably graduating from high school, it feels like, but I've never loved anyone enough to tell them I want to have their baby.
4: I guess you're never really in love, then.
2: <laughs> guess
4: not.
1: Spen- guess Spencer's not. Spencer's saying
2: it like it is. <laughs>
4: No, but also you gotta remember they're teenagers so like this super intense melodramatic love story it makes sense that you know with them being like uh 18 year old
2: i was about to say my next door neighbor's kid when i used to pick her up from school i would hear these kinds of things that's why i'm just like that's kids for you i mean it's you know emotions are dialed up to 10 and that's kind of where they stay and until they, you know, I mean, myself included, you know, growing up, like, at some point, you start learning how to dial it back, and then you learn how to control the dial even better. But yeah, I mean, I see it with my, you know, I see it with my, uh, my sister's, uh, you know, uh, kid, you know, I see that dial, it's 10 or zero. And like, I saw it in this movie, too. You see it at, like, I want to have your kids, you know, and then it's like, you know, back down. It's like, okay, like, Jesus, the, these emotions are just completely just being amplified.
4: Yeah, like the part where he when manga is screaming at his mom, like that, it is always unnerves me every time. It's so it's so primal and like like and, and like the melodrama breaks and it's just like this is us pure like not to say confusion but it's like it's like his anger at like he can't be himself and like even though like I I, I am a hetero man like like it really hits and it's like he just wants to be himself and no one and he is no one in his world is letting him do it. And it's just heartbreaking.
1: And it's almost as heartbreaking though, when he ends up getting the guy at the end, because they don't necessarily seem like they're super happy. It just feels like this is, I guess to the name of the film, this is destiny. This is the way that it's got to play out. And yeah, it, it feels very like Chris, you called him a homewrecker and I'm just like, yeah, he's, kind of coming in here and here's sorry with his wife maybe question mark and, and child and it's like yeah see you later I'm gonna go off with manga now and we're gonna leave in our jeep and drive off into the sunset it kind of reminds me of like the end of the graduate where it's just like okay now we have each other now what you know what? what's gonna be that next thing and it's like I would almost like to see an epilogue to the film as far as what ends up with these two guys? Because they can't go home again. They're basically non-people to their own families. What are they going to do? Are they exiled? Where do they go after this?
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think, the, uh, another great comparison, Mike. That, I mean, there's a scene missing... From the end of this movie, and honestly, if I had if I had been the one to make this movie, the seed, the way I would have had the credits roll, is the credits rolling over a, a, a shot of them driving away the, their faces. Just so you can see that. Because again, you like you said, you knew it in The Graduate because you see Dustin Hoffman, and I forget the actress who plays the other lead in that movie.
4: That Catherine Ross?
2: You see them and they're just like, yeah, like you said, we have each other, but at what cost? To what end? And like, this is that same scenario here. And it's, it is emotionally, this movie is emotionally all over the place, intentionally. And this ending is emotionally brutal, intentionally. It's, you know, again, I don't know what the director's intent was, but regardless of his intent, the, the way the ending plays out is sudden, emotionally brutal, and then the movie just pff, ends. And you're just like, all right, what do they do now? Who knows? They don't even know.
4: Around this time, there was a documentary called Woobie Cherie. I can't remember the director's names. It's very French names I have to hear said first. But one's French. One is Philip Brooks. And they made this documentary about the gay and transgender community and uh, uh, Abidjan, Ivory Coast. And that was, like, the, for lack of a better term, like, you know, the the, the San Francisco of West Africa. That was where, if you were LGBT, LGBTQ, that was, like, the safest place you could go. And it's this hour-long documentary. It's kind of like Paris is Burning, but I don't know enough if there was, like, kind of the shitty behind-the-scenes stuff that Paris is Burning has attached to it. But it's this very nice look at like this is like where gay people in west africa are and so it's treated as like there are just people and uh, the documentary is on what's it called it's on vimeo and there's a dvd out there but it's a really good movie that i highly recommend it's like a good it'd be a good double feature with paris is burning of like ivory coast late 90s and then 80s um uh new york
2: it's also a a film from 2000 called Forbidden Fruit. That's a Zimbabwean film about lesbian relationships. And I would be curious to see how that film treats that film's homosexual relationship. Obviously it's a different gender, but you know, same continent, same, similar, similar cultural expectations. I would be curious how the director of that film handles the homosexual relationship in that film. Uh, because I'm I mean, just be curious to see another take that's not this one.
4: There's more than you think. There's one couple of years ago what's it called Rafiki from Kenya that got in a lot of trouble because the Kenyan government uh, did not want to promote it and have it be shown because it promoted homosexuality. And uh, just for reference, Kenya is conservative to a point that if the police find like a dildo in your house, you can be arrested and go to jail for uh, i don't know how long but like it's against the law <laughs> like that's like what kenya is uh like so and there's that and there's uh this one from algeria called the road to love uh it's about a gay relationship it's not as good it's messier than uh Deacon. it's worth checking out just to see like a north african perspective on like homosexuality and um uh there's a frontal male nudity in it which caught me off guard in it because i I, when i think north like north african film i do not think uh, i'll I'll see a penis but you get to see one in it Uh, there's some scattered other ones but like it's it's still kind of a taboo enough topic that uh like like what happened to kamara like it will end your career if you do it although now it's getting better i don't know if doug's director for fiki if she's made another movie but i hope she may, i hope she is able to make another movie because that movie is definitely worth watching it shows a different perspective it has a i think a better point of view on the homosexuality angle than kamara does
1: so rafiki that's that's uh the character from the lion king correct uh it is rafiki,
2: it does share yeah. the name mike
4: <laughs> yeah i believe the uh it's one of i it's, i want to want afro bubblegum movies which is a big movement of, like, African films that aren't depressing and serious and trying to show try, they can be fun, which I appreciate, but at the same time, you also need the serious ones as well. That, the director of Rafiki, um, uh, Wanuri, uh, Kahu, I believe she is a lesbian, but don't quote me on that. Okay, I thought I saw it somewhere, uh, when it was first coming up, I can't remember, but, uh, Rafiki is is on Amazon. Last I checked, so it can be seen, and uh, everyone should definitely check that out.
1: It looks like she's filming a couple new films. So obviously, pandemic with notwithstanding, um, you know, because Rafiki was twenty eighteen. Who knows when she started these other projects that she's working on, but it does look like she is working on other stuff. So hopefully Rafiki did not get her into the trouble that Kamara got uh, himself into.
4: Related to more LGBTQ African cinema, this 1997 is the same year another African film called Destiny came out by Yusuf Traheen. He's a guy to Cairo Station. He's kind of Egypt's most famous director, I believe. uh, Netflix still has almost all his movies. One of his last movies, also called Destiny, came out this year, and he got in trouble with the Egyptian government over the years by having gay characters in his movies. But uh, he still somehow managed to like sneak around and have a film career in Egypt. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend just watching his stuff. Like he he was. Uh, one, one of the greats, and uh, he's already like in the forties because Egypt kind of had a head start, and
1: well, they even had an Egyptian version of Rocky Horror, correct? Just with no gay sex or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it is a real thing.
2: What is it? Is it weird? I mean, is it just strange?
1: Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty bizarre. Because
2: you know when i when I think of Rocky Horror Picture Show, all I can think of is gay sex. So if it has no gay sex.
1: It is called Fangs, also known as An Yab. Yeah, so it is. Uh, wow.
4: Uh-huh. So, it's, so it's a hetero version of Rocky Horror? That defeats the purpose, but sure, I guess.
1: <laughs> kind of does, yeah. Rather than being Dr. Frankenfurter, it is a vampire, thus the Fangs of the title. And yeah, he pretty much is there too. Uh, seduce the janet character it doesn't necessarily seduce the brad character
2: wow that is man
1: that's something else yep thank goodness for i can't remember the guy's channel who does um uh all of these uh you might think you know this film but it's been remade over here too neon harbor he uh does some great stuff interesting huh.
4: yeah there's a bollywood death wish movie on i think it's still on Netflix. I like it overall, but it, it's kind of a weird mess.
1: <laughs> it's got to be better than Eli Roth's, I would think.
4: Uh there's more music.
1: <laughs> That's the one thing that I found uh, Death Wish to be lacking is musical numbers.
4: Of the movies we're gonna, we we're going to talk about this month, the con is the probably one to have the least to say about because on some level I, I am hetero, so like part feels like should I talk about this, this movie?
2: Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah. You're fine. (laughs) You're fine. Your opinion is not any less valid because you are not homosexual. As someone who is homosexual, you're fine. (laughs) Okay. You're good. You're
1: good. There's been so much stuff written about and talked about movies that are gay themed by heterosexual people. I think that's absolutely fine. But
2: Spencer, to your point, I appreciate where you're coming from. Because there are people who are part of the community that I am part of that will t- will, will tell you otherwise, and that doesn't help anybody. Because yeah, your opinion is no less valid because you can't one hundred percent understand g- gay sex between two men. Yeah, no, it's that yeah. And if anybody tells you otherwise, yeah, I don't know what to tell them. So yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I, yeah, there's certain movies where like I feel like uh, I'm not I'm not qualified to talk about it. I was on a show talking about Sarah Jacobson movies. I told the, the guys on the show, like, make sure there's a woman on the episode, because Sarah Jacobson, you know, was really into feminism, and, uh, you know, it, 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 having a bunch of straight dudes talking about her movies wouldn't make sense.
2: Well, straight dudes love talking about movies, come on.
4: I know, I know, but Sarah white Straight, Jacobson, whi-
2: straight <laughs> white dudes love talking about movies even more, I mean... Yeah.
1: That's for sure. Get
2: three straight white dudes in a room together, and you've got half of every podcast out yeah. available now, so...
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, what we should have done was talk about the actress that plays Umu and just like talk about how great her rack is yeah. and then we would be more like other podcasts.
2: Yeah. That's the heady discussion that we're missing here. Is instead of you saying she was examining her breast, you were just, you know, catcalling the entire time. That's what that's what's missing.
1: That's the best scene of the movie, dude. The best. Oh my lord. I found it really frustrating that when she and that dude were doing it on that table, she was wearing her pants, man. Come on. You have your socks
2: on during sex, bro? Whoa.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm so good with all of that. Like- it's just me and my ex body spray. That's the only thing I wear.
4: Overall, the movie's really good. It's just, there are improvements that could, that could easily be made. It's just at the same time, like, you know, Kamara... His career, as a, as of now, is still dead. I'd love to see maybe a follow up of this, of like where the characters are now. Maybe like a course correction, course correction of some of the you know uh, weird elements of the movie. But who knows?
2: I, I am with Spencer. I'm, I'm glad I watched this, Mike. I, I appreciate again. You kind of I say it before, and I'll say it again. You push my cinematic boundaries pretty far. This was not something I ever would have seen otherwise. I I guess I might have given that it's queer cinema, but I don't search out queer cinema. I just watch it. I watch it as I watch anything else. It's just something that I watch. Cinema. It just happens to be queer cinema. So I I liked it as much as I could, but I think to Spencer's point, I'm sure you'll echo it as well, Mike. The message of this movie, I can't quite put my finger on it. And because of that, you know, Richard, our friend Richard Haddam, he kind of talks about, like, we talked about it on our Lucky Lady episode, actually, over at the Culture Cast. In that movie, the director doesn't seem to take a stance. And in this one, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I can't tell what stance you're taking because I don't think you're taking one. With something like this, it would be better if you did take a stance because I think the message would have more impact if it was clear from the beginning what you're trying to tell us and where you're trying to go and what you're trying to challenge our belief systems on.
4: I also wonder how much censorship did he have to go through in terms of editing? Cause there have been like some other, like more like political African films like Chala, the Simbin movie that had to be edited about 11 times or so before the Senegalese government would allow them to Simbin to show it in theaters. With a movie like you know the Khan, I really do wonder how much how much editing did he have to Kamara have to go through just to make sure like he'd actually be able to show it.
1: Other than the kissing at the beginning, and I think there's some kissing a little bit after that, there's not real graphic stuff. And then even when it comes to the aborted sex scene between Umu and Manga, I think nudity for females is much more normalized in Africa if i'm to believe um looking at national geographics for all those years but there's like the the like some footplay kind of stuff going on and some some touching but it's not super erotic so yeah i am curious if he had to go through stuff because what we see is not super risque other than the idea of black man, white woman, black man, black man. The In and of themselves it's risque, but what they show not necessarily that risque. At least to me.
4: After the meet cute when they're like uh, walking he's walking her to uh, her place at night and there's this moment where there's like a bus stop or something and her dress blends in with the background and his shirt blends into the background and it's just this really like, beautiful, like, image of, like, her red dress blends in, which uh, blends in with, like, um, you know, the red back. And, like, it's just, like, a really cool set design thing that I can't help but wonder, like, how planned out was that? Because, like, it, it's kind of amazing.
1: <laughs> I found three different versions of the film, and only one of them looked decent. Like, one had English subtitles burned into it, that just looked like ass. And so at the beginning, when they're wearing their schoolboy uniforms and they've got the white shirts, good luck reading those subtitles because they were just blown out completely. I watched another one that had no subtitles and couldn't find subtitles for it any place. And then I finally watched one that looked pretty darn good and and actually was widescreen and it looked nice um but yeah it was not that easy to find a a decent looking copy of this but i didn't know until i was looking around for trailers for the film that like you said before it is on vimeo now so you can buy it or rent it for not that much money i think vimeo keeps their rates pretty low
4: and so is wooby sherry is also on vimeo and the other language spoken in this besides french is uh manenka or uh, i saw a couple different listed but on the dvd i have it says uh, manenka is the uh local language spoken in the movie
1: all right guys let's go ahead and take a break and we're going to play a preview for next week's show right after these brief messages
0: sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate and they just have too many levers and buttons
1: there's got to be a better way
0: Now there is, with Good Job Brain, an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun.
2: I just learned that artificial vanilla flavoring sometimes comes from the anal glands of a beaver, and now I can never shake that mental image? Thanks, Good Job Brain.
0: Good Job Brain is available for the low price of just four easy payments of free. It's a podcast.
3: Good job, brain, is part of Airwave Media and available on all podcast apps. Operators are standing by.
5: Nindo, Fuma, no. That afuma. you go for, ma?
3: Swapa no machikudi, no, ma, okusarapo, kubembushi, atino kubembushi. kubembushi. Twin will not do much. I Chula, how are you settling into your new life?
5: up why don't we take a picture together
4: look at the camera mona i'll send it to you
1: that's right we'll be back next week with a look at the film i am not a witch until then i want to thank this week's co-hosts chris and spencer so chris what is keeping you busy sir
2: You're on a couple episodes. You're on one episode this month of the Culture Cast, my movie podcast. You can find that at culturecast.com or you can find me at cstashu.com. I think, Mike, we talked about Murder Can Hurt You, which is pretty far removed from this. So, yeah. If you want to hear us talk about a TV movie about the TV's greatest detectives fighting someone in white... A Man in White, that's 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 your that's going to be something you're going to want to be checking out because we're talking about TV movies. And Mike and I do a couple podcasts together like Barney Miller and Twilight Zone 1985 and Rankin on Bass. So that's what's keeping me busy podcasting.
1: And Spencer, how about yourself? What's keeping you busy, sir?
4: Maybe by the time this comes out, I will have another thing on my African history site. Red, Black, and Green, A Celebration of, Af- of African History. And, uh, I have three things on there. Currently, uh, pandemic kind of took a toll on research and writing and all that. So eventually, um, a piece on, uh, Thomas Ankara is coming up and something in it, like the history of Madagascar is coming up. My movie blog thing, uh, Jailhouse 701, Japanese cult cinema. Maybe by this time I'll have a review of Faith of Another, uh, finished by then. Yeah, that will end uh after by the end of the year maybe early next year because i kind of want to focus on the history thing and there are enough movie blogs not enough african history blogs like that's it in my podcast shoot the piano player a french new wave podcast uh this month is august so it's contempt godar so uh a very mild boo from me because i don't i don't get godar and a desica movie that i really like and um uh, the special episode is chala Xala, the Simbin film, and also we have a Spike Lee season called "We Cut Heads," a Spike Lee podcast, and did a, and before that did Kurosawa season, High and Low Kurosawa podcast. So there's like 200 episodes worth of stuff over the past few years. The early Kurosawa ones, I'm embarrassed over, but you can listen to if you feel like it. I won't tell. I won't recommend it, but uh, yeah, that's it for me.
1: Well thank you so much folks for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks especially to our Patreon community. If you want to join the community, visit patreon.com slash projection booth. Every donation we get helps the projection booth take over the world. <laughs>
5: Les camions sont pleins de lait, les balayeurs sont pleins de balais. Il est 5h. Paris s'éveille. Paris s'éveille. Les travestis vont se raser, les stripteaseuses sont rhabillées. Les traversins sont écrasés, les amoureux sont fatigués. Il est 5 heures, Paris s'éveille. Paris s'éveille. Le café est dans les tasses, les cafés nettoient leur glace. Et sur le boulevard Montparnasse, la gare n'est plus qu'une carcasse Il est 5 heures, Paris s'éveille Paris s'éveille Les banlieusards sont dans les gares, à la Villette, on tranche le lard. Harry by night regagne l'écart, les, les boulangers font des bâtards, il est 5 ans. Paris Harry, s'éveille, Harry, s'éveille, la tour est faite, la froid aux pieds, l'arc de triomphe est rallymé. Et l'obélisque est bien dressé entre la nuit et la journée. Il est 5 heures. Harry s'éveille. Harry s'éveille. Les journaux sont imprimés, les ouvriers sont déprimés. Les gens se lèvent, ils sont brimés. C'est l'heure où je vais me coucher. Il est cinq heures, Paris se lève. Il est cinq heures, je n'ai pas sommeil.